Hello and welcome back to Caskheads, uh, where we have a slightly different episode today. Luke, my co-host and brother, is busy at work, and so I've had to draft in a guest star this week in the form of my dad, Mick. Hello. Hello. Uh, now, I know for a fact that you know everything we've discussed about whiskey on this podcast, because I'm sure you've listened to it and not ignored your own son's podcast. Exactly, yes. Because <clears throat> uh, this will be episode number... Um, I've listened to that many, I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said on that one. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. I should also say that uh, I realised the other day it hadn't actually been mentioned before, but it is uh, my dad who plays the intro to the podcast. Yes. Uh, so there we go. It's yeah. always worth mentioning. Today we're yeah. going to be uh, keeping it fairly simple and focused on one distillery because, well, I'm sure multiple distilleries might be a little hard for you to follow. Yes, it would. Keep it simple, yeah. And I thought we'd talk about Ardbeg, which I know is a distillery you at least know of because I talk yes, about I it a lot. Yes, I have heard about it, yes. Ardbeg is located on the island of Isla, not, not Islay or Islay, it's Isla, uh, which is situated off the west coast of uh, Scotland. And yeah, well, let's just briefly recap some of the uh, Isla kind of facts. Uh, the island gets its own region to itself, even though there are the islands as well. Isla does get to be separate. Uh, this is mainly due to the very distinctive style, very heavily peaty whiskies you usually found on Isla. Um, there's exceptions to every rule, as, as I've said before. Islas, they tend to be quite big bodied, very smoky, medicinal iodine flavours often because the peat's exposed to seaweed and it draws the iodine out of the seaweed. Now, uh, Isla's had a very long history. The, the island uh, was uh, where well, it had the Vikings on it at some stage. Um, it also was where the Lord of the Isles was based, which is um, all sorts of raids and things happened from Isla. And it is a little less uh, bloodshedy kind of and pillaging goes on in Isla these days. And the people are actually very, very friendly. Some of the friendliest people you'll meet. So they don't pillage anymore then? No, not so much. I think it's ever since they had to start putting it on tax returns. Ah, uh, right. You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Um, also, there's there's so many distilleries located on the island that just about everyone has a family member who either works or worked in the whiskey business. Um, the island has, I think I was counting earlier, it's either nine or ten uh, active distilleries um, with at least two more being built. So, the uh, do you know any of the distilleries on Isla apart from Ardbeg? No, I don't. Absolutely no. no. <laughs> No, my knowledge of whiskey is uh, virtually nil. Let's uh, just quickly run through the other uh, distilleries on the island. Ardenhoe is the newest producing spirit, but it's not old enough to become whiskey. Do you know how old the spirit has to be maturing to become whiskey? Because, again, that was discussed it in was most discussed, of the podcast. It was discussed, yes. Um, 30 years, is it? No. No. Oh, right. So the spirit has to be matured in oak casks for at least three years before oh, bottling. So Ardenhoe has a little bit to go. New Make Spirit is... Actually, this will be interesting for you. New Make Spirit is uh, like that Ooh, before clear. it goes into the cask and this is actually a peaty new make spirit as well so if you just give that a smell Ooh, yeah. even though it's not been in the cask there's still lots of flavour to it and that comes from the peating of the barley that was the Glenglassau peated which we've discussed before Glenglassau's not on Isla but they do a peaty whiskey and that's just a very good kind of crossover thing so what gives it its colour then? the casks Ah. Oh. you have to mature it in oak casks the whiskey gets up to 80% of the flavour from the casks and um, all of the colour now they can add a little bit of colouring but we're talking kind of like a teaspoon in a cask so in hundreds of litres you're adding kind of a teaspoon it's not a lot wow. uh, and the colour can't affect the flavour the only thing that can affect the flavour is uh, the barley the, the stills and the casks uh, where the casks are matured can often affect it, um, but at the end of the day, you can't add any artificial flavours to it. It has to kind of occur over the maturation or distillation period, mm. or even the um, the brewing period with the with the barley making the beer first before you distill it. Which, of course, you know, as I've said, because you've listened to all these previous episodes. Yes, that's quite that's quite correct. <laughs> 
So, sorry to interrupt, if I were to drink that, or oh, simple that, would it taste like whiskey? Uh, well, uh, it, it tastes strong, it's 50% yeah, but, ABV. Yeah, but, yeah, I know, but, but I don't, no, 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 it's been up. <laughs> it doesn't taste like whiskey, it tastes like New York spirit, which is hard to describe, because whiskey often has that oakiness to it, this right. doesn't have the oakiness. So, so it's, so it's, it's lovely and peaty, yeah. but it hasn't got all the flavours you get, it's certainly not rounded off, because the, the casks tend to round off that spirit and give it right. a nice depth. With this, what you're, what you're tasting is the peated barley that they'll have peated, um, and the spirit style. So the spirit, when it comes out of the stills, still has some flavour, but it hasn't got it hasn't developed over the years on top of that, if you like. This is all purely distillation. Right. Actually interesting you asked her on that subject. It's worth noting that Lag on Aaron, which is the newest distiller on La- on uh, Aaron, um, they do a peaty whiskey now. Well, they do a peated new peated new make spirit now, uh, and that's now available for sale from whiskey shops. And so again, if you're wanting to try new make spirit from a distillery, particularly a new one, to see what it's, it's like, I thoroughly actually recommend Lag's new make spirit. So we got slightly sidetracked there. Ardenho is the newest producing the spirit, but it's not yet old enough to be called whiskey. Bowmore, in, now this is not one of the peatiest whiskies to be found on the island of Isla. However, it is one of the oldest distilleries uh, and certainly one of the oldest ones that's going. Uh, now they have the, the number one warehouse, which actually sits below sea level. Um, and so the casks are maturing in uh, naturally kind of sea salty air because it's, it's got that kind of effect to it. And uh, they also mature very close to the sea as well because Bowmore is, is very coastal. And it imparts this lovely kind of sea salty side to things. Brook Laddie, um, now they like to challenge a lot of the kind of uh, preconceptions of whiskey and they try using these interesting different casks and and certainly focusing on, on where you're sourcing the barley from. They take a very much kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, they use it in wine and I'm completely drawing a blank on it, which is terrible because I know it. And it's, it's still how the location affects the flavours anyway. And they're trying to uh, prove these differences and uh, how many different flavours you can get. And Brook Lady proudly call themselves Progressive Hebridean dis- Distillers because they want to be different and, and not bound by tradition as much as possible. Uh, then you have Boonahaven, which is uh, a mouthful, if nothing else. <laughs> Far too many letters in Boonahaven. Um, Sounds German. <laughs> it does actually, doesn't it? And Ockentoshen yeah. always, always sounds a bit German as well. Ockentoshen is a lovely lowland whiskey. Boonahaven, again, tends not to be too peaty. In fact, it's one of the least peaty expressions on Isla. However, they do a very heavily peated expression about three times a year as well. So it really, really does uh, whack that phenolic count up. Now, the spirit of Boonahaven is nice and oily. It's big bodied and it's usually sherry cast matured, particularly in the standard 12-year-old. Really nice, rich, uh, wintry kind of whiskey. Boonahaven is great. Then we're on to Kalila, which is the largest uh, distillery on the island of Isla. They produce 6.5 million litres of alcohol a year. It's a phenomenal amount of alcohol that uh, Kalila creates. Very much a, a very big kind of workhorse distillery on the island. And uh, it's owned by Diageo. And they reckon Kalila is probably one of the most drunk whiskies in the world because not only is a single malt, but it goes into a lot of blends. And even if it's in a small amount, you don't need a lot of peaty whiskey in a blend. And so a lot of people have probably drunk Kalila whiskey. It also sits uh, overlooking the island of Jorah. It has a very, very picturesque kind of view out of the still room. After that, we have Kilhoman, which is a really nice small farm distillery owned by the Wills family not Willis as I always want to say the it's the newest distillery on Isla with whiskey for sale so they're newer than Ar- they're older than Ardenhoe rather but at least their spirit is old enough that you can you can sell it as whiskey um, they have very distinct bottles which look like that oh it's a smart bottle it know. is it's smart whiskey as well um, and it's, they have a really nice kind of s- a small batch approach to their whiskies, and uh, they really are great people as well to talk to if you get a chance. 
After that, we've got Lafroig, which is uh, certainly one of the most, most kind of uh, divisive whiskies around. Um, Lafroig, it's not the peachiest whisky made, but it's certainly a very distinct iodine flavour, even for peaty whiskies. And um, it, it, it's, it's often a love it, hate it kind of style, even amongst peat lovers. It can be too much. After Lafroig, we've got Lagavulin, really nice. Um, actually, also the second one, just uh, owned by Diageo, who owned Kalila. Lagavulin and Kalila are both peaty about the same level, but uh, different stills, a lot squatter, and it creates a nice oily kind of rich spirit. A lot of a lot more impurities to Lagavulin. And uh, and then lastly, with I, I mentioned Ardbeg because I've left it up to last because that's what we're talking about. Hmm. Any questions so far? Um, it's interesting to know that the different areas make such a difference in the uh, taste, which I didn't realise. I suppose it's common sense, really, when you think about it, but it's something I've never really thought about. Yeah, so if you distill, it's more down to the shape of the stills as to where you are. Mm. I mean, each distillery stills are different. They, um, In fact, when a distillery will replace a still eventually... Uh, they pay a lot of money for the still to be recreated perfect. Exactly the same size. Even to the point where there have been like dents in stills, and when they bought a new still, they have asked for the dent to be put back in. Just, uh-huh. yeah, it, it's almost superstitious to the amount of how much a still can make the difference. So stills are very, very important, and they, they, they need to be looked after. They will each create a different style of spirit, depending on not just the shape of the still, but how long you keep the spirit in there. So like I was saying, like a Vulin, they heat it very, very quickly, whereas at places like Glengoyne, they heat very, very slowly, slowly. so it stays in there a lot longer. It takes longer to, to, to kind of get to that temperature. It can make a huge, huge difference. Right. Stills give you a lot of flavour. Location can often apply to maturation. So if you mature your casks by the sea, you get a sea saltiness to it. If you mature your casks inland, even if it's been distilled at the coast, you're not really going to get that sea saltiness to it. Right. Because it's to do with the air. Just a stupid question here then. If it's... um, I I would have thought everything would have been airtight. However, you're you're losing about 2.5% every year. So to put it in context, if this was the end of a cask, if you filled it up to the top, which they try to because then you've got a full cask, after 10 years, you've only got about that much whiskey in. Right. After 30 years, you've only got about that much whiskey in. There's not a lot of whiskey in a cask after 30 years, which is one of the reasons why 30-year-old whiskey is so expensive. Oh, right. So you are losing a lot of your products. I mean, can you imagine going to a bank and explaining to them your business model is, <laughs> we're going to fill this liquid into some wooden barrels. You're not going to get any money coming in unless we start selling new make or gin or something of that ilk. And also, we will lose a lot of the product through evaporation over the years. Can you imagine trying to get a loan to set up a new <laughs> business like that? <laughs> right, so going back to my first question then. So it's... it's Right, it's dropped in level. Yep. Assuming it's still airtight, is it? The cask? Yes. Well, the casks have to be airtight and watertight to an extent, yeah. but obviously you do lose, like I say, you're losing so evaporation. So how does it get, stupid question, how does it get the, the, scent, the scent of the sea salt and everything going in it? Because of where it's matured. I know it sounds silly, it's not perfectly tight. Uh, the wood's porous, it is drawing stuff oh, through. Right. Mm. And so you, you, you get that thing happening. And um, particularly, like they say, at, at Beaumont's uh, num- number one warehouse, where it is below sea level, you have a lot more kind of salinity to the to the air. So yes, it is effectively kind of like watertight to prevent leaks, although leaks happen and they have to patch them very quickly, otherwise you have a very expensive mess. Mm-hmm. There is still this kind of, because of how wood still, reacts, still you've got draw that, air in it that, that feeling through it, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, um, well, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. See, you've... Oh, but you, here, well, of course you did, oh because you've God. listened to all this before. Yes, exactly. Precis- yes. yes. Oh, yes. yes. Fountain of knowledge now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ardbeg. 
Artbeck Distillery was established in 1815, although distilling was happening on the site long before that. Like most distilleries, uh, there was illicit distilling going on where they didn't really want to pay tax. Mm. And so, I mean, Isla has been having illicit distilling for years, as has most of Scotland. I very much doubt a lot of it happens today, if any, but I wouldn't be surprised because there's always little places you could get away with and not a lot of police. Yes, I mean, it's a nice scheme, but if you don't want to join it, you can't. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, whiskey's made in the traditional way. Tax is optional, you know. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and certainly in a remote place like Isla, there were a lot of illicit stills going on. Mm. So, yeah, the, the, the series formed in 1815, and over the years they've had many, many different kind of owners. Raises and falls in, in the in the whiskey demand. The distillery's kind of gone through booms and bust. It has closed several times, and uh, in, it, at one point it actually fell into such disrepair uh, when it was abandoned, there was talk of bulldozing the buildings down, which would have been a, a, a very sad time, because obviously there would be no distillery today. Fortunately, someone... Uh, had the very good common sense to say, why bother bulldozing buildings when the Atlantic will do it for you in a few years? Yeah. Because, as you can imagine, the, the, the weather's quite yeah, can yeah. be quite uh, fierce. There. <clears throat> Fortunately, Ardbeg was bought, and it was actually bought by the Glenmorangie Corporation. Uh, now, Glenmorangie, very, very light, gentle, easy-drinking whiskey, completely polar opposite style to Ardbeg, really. And the corporation, they, they bought Ardbeg, and they brought people in to kind of set the set their stills going again. One of the biggest things working in Ardbeg's favour was that, whilst it was closed, um, Lefroig, which was one of the other distilleries I mentioned earlier, Lefroig went into uh, Ballantines, which is a blend you may have heard of i don't know um and ballantines uh, they couldn't actually put lafroig in ballantines it was too distinct a flavor it was ruining the recipe a little bit and so a team would go over to ardbeg with whoever owned its permission and they would run the stills every so often just to create some spirit at ardbeg to go into this ballantines blend and because of this the 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 equipment didn't really seize up it, although it wasn't used frequently it was enough to just keep it going and well maintained and so when they got back to ardbeg although the buildings were falling down and and you know there were holes in the buildings apparently mm. when they got there at least the equipment was was uh, still up to spec so fortunately one of the people on the lafroig team was a gentleman called mickey heads who actually ended up being later on the distillery manager at ardbeg and most of the Ardbegs you drink today are actually creations of Mickey Heads. Uh, alongside uh, Dr. Bill Lumsden, who's a very, very smart man to do with the, the flavour profile creation at Glenmorangi and Ardbeg. But uh, Mickey Heads is a distillery manager and he has a lot to do with the, with, with, the, with the whiskey. This is one of the big problems is, like I say, the distillery closed down. They had to put some new equipment in. And actually... Ardbeg this year actually increased the still count as well as the washback count and things. So they're amping up production because demand is so high now. Famously, one of their whiskies they created was a 17-year-old, which basically when Glenmorangie took over Ardbeg, they needed cash because distillers are expensive. And they looked at the, they looked in the warehouses where whiskey was still maturing, even though the place had been closed, and they found these barrels of 17-year-old whiskey. And they released it just as a stopgap to bring them money in until they could could uh, kind of sell a standard range. Seventeen-year-old Arbeg now goes for about three hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty pounds a bottle, <sighs> because it's all the old stuff before the stills yeah, were changed yeah. over. So it tastes differently. They use different malt for a start. You old-style Arbeg and new-style Arbeg very different, although similar in principle, very different in in taste in in ways. Very, very popular amongst collectors. So how many different uh, types of whiskey does our big producer? Ah, we will get to that later on. Oh. That's oh, all right. That's that's later on. Okay. Um, importantly, whilst we're talking about Ardbeg stills, they have purifiers on the lin arms. So, uh, you know, I was telling you about you get those up and then you get the lin arm. Um, If you imagine as the spirit escapes on the lin arm, you then have a, a, a pipe that goes down. 
which then goes into this purify unit, which then returns to the stills. And so the heavier spirits that make it to Linan then go back into the still and get redistilled. So again, you're creating a lighter spirit. Mm. And this is one of the reasons that Arbeg's so popular, because you've got this lovely light spirit, even though it's heavily peated. It's not too big bodied and in your face. It's really nice balance to the whiskies, along with some of the excellent kind of casks they do and things like that for the maturation. But purifiers are a very, very big part of it. And... Um, not many distilleries, there's a few distillers use them, but purifiers, they don't get used all that often. They peat the barley to bang on 50 parts per million. So, Pete, as I know, you've you've listened to the previous episode, so you know all about all this, about as we've Pete, discussed. Yeah. He's a nice chap. Yeah, Pete's, a, Pete's an excellent <laughs> chap. Is <laughs> measured in parts per million, basically. It's the phenol count. So, basically, what you do is you put your barley in a kiln, you peat is young coal. Yeah. You burn the peat, the smoke goes up and infuses into the barley. Now, that's the traditional way of using peat kilns. Now, there's far more accurate ways that they can do this, and they can create it to some very uh, accurate specifications. So, Ardbeg is 50 parts per million. Lafroig, although it tastes more iodine is only 45 parts per million, so it's slightly less peaty. Uh, Lagavulin and Kalila, both 35 parts per million. The big difference there is the stills and the casks. Brookladdy does Octomore, which is uh, the peatiest whiskey made, and it's regularly over kind of 150 parts per million. Uh, but it's a limited range, and it always costs kind of like three times the price of an average whiskey. Very, very, very peaty. Peatiest whiskey you can have, really. And so, moving on to the core range of Arbeck, we have the standard 10-year-old, which is fully matured in ex-American bourbon casks. So, as I'm sure you know, bourbon industry can only use the casks once, so they like to buy them secondhand in the Scottish yeah, industry. Yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. So you have this lovely, heavily peated Arbeg spirit that's matured in ex-American bourbon oak, and it's it's kind of like, like I say, the standard one, and it's great all-round whiskey for peat lovers. Then we have Anno, which is matured in... Um, they use ex-American again, but they also use Pedro Jimenez sherry cask, which is lovely, rich, sweet sherry. Uh, if you just give that a smell, that is Pedro Jimenez mixed with some whiskey. Oh, I like that. Very, very distinctive Ooh, kind of rich, nice. sweet. Yeah, yeah can tell, can lovely. That's more of a, a liqueur. That's, yeah. that's uh, whiskey, spirit, and Pedro Jimenez mixed together. Very, very nice. And so they use casks that previously held that sherry in there. Mm. Um, and they, so, as you can imagine, that gives that lovely, rich sweetness to it. Um, they also use what's called virgin oak. Never held any whiskey before. Brand new oak. Lovely kind of... Um, you can use virgin oak for maturation but it's a balancing act because it can overpower the whiskey if you're not careful because it's all brand new oak mm. so they they then they've after they've been matured in these casks they then add it to a vat and they let it all marry together so the flavors interact nicely and then it's ready for bottling and i know it's a little less peter than 10 year old but for the, for the flavor that you get i think it's great and it's usually only uh, a couple of pounds more than the 10 year old um no more than five usually and so it's it's a little bit of an increment in price but a lot more flavor you get i think it's great then we get on to Ugadel, which is my favorite of the Ardbeg range old sherry cask matured whiskey very very rich and they use some younger american oak casks now oakdale it's bottled at cask strength so it's 54.2 percent this is the strength you get it at the cask they haven't added water to it to bring it down to anything and you get lovely kind of rich meaty oily kind of uh, smokiness sea saltiness to it it's 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 great it really does take a beating at oogadel uh that's this one so if you give, want to give that a nose you can try a drop my arm, not the cork. Um, Ugadel is named after the it's lock. Nice. It is actually, yeah, Ugadel's. Oh, it's right. That's it. Ugadel is named after the <clears throat> lock where the distillery gets their water source from. Uh, it's very dark, mysterious kind of lock, and uh, it is rumoured to be the lair of a, a mysterious beast as well. Oh. Yes, yeah, the beast of Ugadel. <laughs> after that, we have Corrie Vecken. 
Now, Corrievecan is named after the Whirlpool, where uh, which is in the north of Isla. And it's actually where the author George Orwell, who uh, nearly lost his life, uh, the the ship. <laughs> yeah, he was because um, he, he spent a lot of time on the islands, particularly on Jura, writing his, his books and things. The Corrievec and Whirlpool uh, capsized his boat. Blimey. Very big whirlpool, actually, if you ever get a chance to see oh, it. No, I've never heard of that. Um, now, this is also cask strength. It's bottled at 57.1%. Corrievecan is matured in ex-American oak again, but they also used virgin oak, as I was saying with uh, Anno. Mm. So, again, a lot more oaky spice comes through, and you get some nice dark fruits alongside that great Ardbeg peatiness that you'd expect. After that, uh, talking about the range of Ardbeg, you also have the 19-year-old, which is uh, new. They have only just started releasing it. They did it last year and this year. Uh, they're releasing it once a year in September, and it's a batch release. Um, and, and the 19-year-old is really interesting because, first of all, it's the oldest standard Ardbeg in the range. Um, also, they they don't only tell you about the cask makeup, they tell you about the weather conditions when it was bottled. So last year was dur- bottled during a storm. This year was bottled during a fog. So I think it's very accurate for kind of like Scottish island weather, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully one you of the years it will be sunny. But... Yeah, you, you always think of fog or rain, don't you? <laughs> so do you have any questions? Uh, there's one thing, uh, when you were mentioning the oak, where a few years ago we had an oak floor put down and the guy that put the wood down said that any of the shavings and anything, if you have a barbecue, put the, the shavings or the sawdust on the barbecue... And then, you know, let grill whatever you're doing. It's a little influence the flavour of whatever you're having. Yeah. And so, obviously, oak's got a huge... Well, yeah, the something oak I would huge, have never thought of putting Yeah, the oak on. has a huge influence on flavour, but also... Yeah. Um, I mean, in that case, you're more on about using the oak smoke for the flavour. Well, yes, but, but, but the oak still... Oak still imparts flavour, oh, yes, certainly. Yeah. Um, Perhaps a stupid thing to mention. But also, it's, it's not just the oak, it's what the oak previously held more often than not so mm. yeah but when you was on about the virgin oak you, you yeah know, that's what that's what no, made me think enough. about that i'm just trying to think if i have a bottle with virgin oak in at the moment um i don't think i do uh but so for instance if you use ex-american oak casks okay we'll do this properly this is bourbon oh, this no. is used virgin oak we'll do it this way Eagle on. Eagle Rare. <laughs> we reviewed this in a previous episode. This is bourbon. Bourbon is always dark. It's always got a slightly reddish tint to it from the oak, if you look. Very, yeah. very dark in comparison to, for yeah. instance, like oh, Kilhoman. Yeah. Um, a difference, isn't there? Now, bourbon is always this got this lovely darkness because they have to, by law, use brand new American oak cask, which is effectively virgin oak. Mm. Um, Scotland tends not to do this too much because you overpower the flavour. Now, there's different climates for maturation, America versus Scotland. America tends to be a lot warmer yeah. in places for a start, particularly in Kentucky. Um, so the the bourbon has effectively taken a lot of that oakiness out of your casks. Then, if I grab... This is Balblair. Now, that's a even huger difference, isn't it? Now, this is uh, a Balblair whiskey that's been entirely matured in uh, ex-American oak casks. So the casks have already taken a lot of the colour out. Yeah. This is a 12-year-old whiskey. That's actually a 10-year-old whiskey. And already you can tell the yeah, difference of how much the cask... Normally bourbon isn't 10 years old. That's just a really nice old bourbon. So you can instantly see the difference that the casks make. Mm. If you were to use a sherry cask... Let's go with Glendronic. Sherry casks impart lovely rich flavours and also a lovely oh, dark yeah. flavour, yeah, dark nice. richness to it again. Yeah. And uh, 
So if you're using sherry casks, a lot similar to your virgin oak, um, tends to be a little... I always think sherry casks do have a bit more of richness to it as well. It's almost amber in it. And uh, flavour-wise, so especially if you're using Oloroso, uh, sherry casks, you get rich fruit cakey kind of flavours, a little bit of spice. Like I was saying earlier on, Pedro Jimenez is a nice, rich, sweet one. You could really smell that. That was Really comes through lovely. I mean, that's... This uh, Glendronic is Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez. Move wildly away from Ardbeg. <laughs> so if you give that a nose. Mm, again, you can smell the sherry in it. Yeah. This is 15 years in Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. Really nice, rich, fruitcakey Christmas cake flavours. Um, lovely, lovely whiskey. I must emphasise at this stage, I'm not a sherry drinker. <laughs> it's just that my granny used to drink it a lot and I always remember the smell of it from that. This is tomatin. I've heard and that's portwood, yeah. and that's portwoods always have a little bit of a pinky rose colour to them. Yeah, almost uh, um, like I say, almost like a rose kind of yeah. uh, ruby colour to them. Mm. Really imparts a different flavour, and so these casks are really, really important. What they're using, the spirit's important, as I proved with the Glenglass Ale new make. It really is. I'm not saying spirit doesn't have flavour, but casks play a very yeah, big part. Obviously, yeah. And it's always a balancing act. People get paid a lot of money to do this right, um, but with peachy whiskey, it can often be a very very important balancing act because the longer you've got in oak the more you're starting to override that initial peaty spirit Mm. Um, so for instance I've tried a 30 year old kind of peaty whiskey and it doesn't taste very nice as a peaty whiskey because it's not very peaty anymore it's a lovely whiskey but it doesn't have that peaty flavour that you come to expect now this is Ardbeg Wee Beastie which is the newest in the standard range bottled uh, after five years of age so it's a lot younger than a lot of the whiskies which benefits peaty whiskies because again you're getting more of that peat flavour matured in American and Oloroso sherry casks so you're getting that American oak from the bourbon casks you're getting Oloroso for a bit of richness um, but after five years this it's still very light you haven't got quite so much cask mm. influence coming through and they bottle fairly high in percentage you're talking 47.4 so again it's not quite cask strength not far off <laughs> but it's still fairly strong and we have got some water to try it with as well so if you want to I mean just give it a nose first yeah I've done it smells well any, any particular flavours you're picking up on try and look past the initial peatiness anything that you seem to think of would you say it's richer or oh rich, yeah definitely richer yeah that's the Oloroso I mean like I say it's it's always personal opinion what you pick mm. up quite often it's sense memories see what you've got to bear in mind with, I've never been a whiskey drinker um, but the samples that you've let me taste is nothing like the whiskey that I imagined you know whiskey would taste like yeah <laughs> not mentioning any names but uh, when I was young you, you were very limited yeah you could I mean, have and uh, so it put me off I didn't like the taste but the, you know this is different I wouldn't have associated this with whiskey how I grew up with one of the things that always sticks out with me with Ardbeg is and it doesn't matter how old the whiskey is. I've I've had some twenty odd year old Ardbeg, and it has a lovely citrusiness to the spirit. There's always a little bit of limes to be found, mm. but you have to look past the peat for it. And I think it's one of those things that the more the more you drink and nose Ardbeg, the more you get used to it. And then the same with other whiskies. You have to because the peat's very very distinctive. It's it's kind of the first thing that draws you in. Um, and you have to start looking past that for some of the subtleties. And particularly with the lighter spirit, it does come through a lot. It's not overwhelming. 
certainly the richness of the sherry cask comes through, as you, as you said, on the nose. To, with the water, you say, right, you can add water to it. Now, this has got to affect the taste from, yeah. the water, from wherever you are in, in the country because water does taste different in different areas, doesn't it? So that's got to affect the, the yes. taste of the whiskey. Must do. Okay. So some people say you should always try the whiskey with water that's bottled from the source where the, near mm. the whiskey. So... You should have highland water, you should have island water, you should have lowland water, you should have Speyside water, you should have Campbelltown water. Looking around you, my desk is filled with whiskey. I don't have room for bottles of water. This is the problem. So I always just try to use uh, bottled water, things like... well, I mean, it doesn't really matter as long as it's a high-quality bottled water because they're, they're so always... So you, you would never use tap water, then? That's basically... Well... <laughs> you shouldn't do that, should you, really? You shouldn't really. So does water open the flavours up? Yep. Hmm. So this is the other thing about uh, working with cask strength. Um, the alcohol starts to numb your tongue a bit, so you lose flavours. And, um, I mean, certainly for me when I try Wee Beastie, one of the things that strikes me really early on is a little bit of a sweetness. Certainly on the tongue, you get this lovely kind of rich sweetness coming through and uh, a little bit of vanilla from the American oak casks, and then that smoke starts to build and it starts to overwhelm everything else. And it certainly lingers. Mm. There's one thing you say about peachy whiskey is it lingers. Yeah. So and there's a little sip and that's... Yeah, you, you don't need a lot. No. Now, if we add water to it, because, like I say, 47... What was it? 47 point... 47.4, so it's quite high. And if you just look at the, you'll see that it starts to see the almost a little bit of an oiliness happened there, whether the, where the, uh, the liquid and the, the oh, water. Oh, yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. And that's the water reacting with the oils, and you start to get this interaction going on. Whiskey is a natural product, and if you look at Wee Beastie, non chill filtered. Hmm. Now, non-chill filtration, because I know you've listened to the products, listened oh, to the uh, oh, podcast oh, oh, before. Yes, very much so, yes. Mm. When you're ready to bottle your spirit from the casks, if they choose to chill filter it, they basically run the spirit past a, a cooling coil thing, and it causes the oils to clump to the top as, as the cooler temperature. So then they can sieve some of the oils out, and then they can bottle it. Oh. Now, if you chill filter, it doesn't affect flavour, but it tends to affect taste. You start... A chill-filtered whiskey always tastes a little uh, lighter. It, 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 Unchill-filtered whiskies always have a lovely oiliness to them. And uh, certainly, I mean, with the Ardbeg, even at five years old, you get this wonderful kind of oiliness coating your mouth. Instantly, like I say, when I added that water, you could see the oils yeah, reacting with the water. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll add some to yours if you yeah. want. And you should see it as well. And... So when you add the water to the whiskey, like I say, you're lowering the alcohol level. Um, if you're not careful, you can overwater whiskey and you start to lose too many yeah, flavours. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. So you can always add more whiskey. You can always add more water to whiskey. Yeah. Otherwise, you have you to unfortunately pour more whiskey in to make up for the water. Yeah. Um, now, if you try it now, so that's the benefit of having a stronger whiskey. Then, so yeah, can, yeah. In theory, it should last longer. It should last longer. <laughs> exactly. In theory. Now, I don't know about you, but. Instantly, it's even sweeter still. Mm. And that smoke, it's still there, but it's a little bit more balanced. Mm. And so there's all these different ways to try whiskey. When people say, oh, I never add water to whiskey, personal opinion, I never tell anyone how to drink the whiskey. But they're missing. They're often missing out on all sorts of different flavours that you can lose otherwise. It is. It's a completely yeah, it's, different drink really, now compared is, to the original yeah. one. It's really nice, though. And so, yeah, it's... Wee Beastie, it's a five-year-old whiskey. They're not lying about it, they say it on the bottle. They say, look, it's a five-year-old whiskey. You're getting more of that peatiness. We've bottled it higher to get more of that cask influence, but it is what it is. It's a younger spirit. And if you just add a drop of water, it becomes a very pleasant... Yeah. I mean, before you sat down here, 
if I was to tell you, oh, just have a five-year-old whiskey, even you would probably have some reservation about it because you would normally think of 10, 12, well, 15... Well, and when I said you asked me yeah. about the mature of 30 years, which is obviously wrong, you know, but, uh, yes, I always think that uh, whiskey's been matured for quite a while. So, yes, this has been the review of Wee Beastie. Lovely, lovely release by Ardbeg. The point I'm trying to drive home here for people is... Keep your mind open. Just because it's five years old doesn't mean it's a bad whiskey, and I think it is seriously yeah, it well is. worth a try. Yeah, it, it is. It's nice. I won't lie; it benefits from a drop of water in this case, in my opinion, and it yeah, is it did, well it did worth. Taste nicer to me with a but. Uh... Um, I mean, even at five years, Ardbeg create lovely whiskey. They're not going to send it out if it's inferior. They have a, a quality to keep. I really do think it's worth a go. So put that one down there. I'll have a swirl and I'll have another taste of them. Yes, you you better have the expensive one. <laughs> the expensive one <laughs> um so any questions um not at the moment i probably will have when you've switched off but i found it very interesting what you said um i mean obviously none of this is really new information no it isn't okay when i say my ears i always slapped to the speaker listening to your previous uh, podcasts um and so it's nice to be actually in the situation where like i say from absolute novice of whiskey i'm not a whiskey drinker never have been but i'm very impressed the cartonist with what you've shown me and what, what I've tasted um, and the difference in smells oh yeah the you aromas and, and the taste and everything to, I honestly can't get over that it's a huge huge difference I mean that all we've all I've shown you is one two three four five and the one six. at the back so less than ten around about ten bottles maybe yeah uh, oh and that Pedro Jimenez yeah but that's not not a whiskey um, I mean that's only ten hmm so many, so many whiskies out there, and all of them. I mean, all of the whiskies I've got around this desk, they all taste different. That's why I have so many different bottles yeah. for reference. I mean, yeah, it, it, it looks funny to see so many bottles and things, but it is all for for reference points and research and things like that, because there's so much out there to discover. Uh, so, yes, I, th I think that about concludes yeah, today's episode. Yeah, very, very interesting. Any final questions? As I say, at the moment... No. No. But... <laughs> but I will probably come up with some later on. But, yes, I've quite enjoyed this, to be honest with you. And it's uh, the the five-year one I can recommend. The Wee Beastie? Yeah, it's really nice. From a non-whiskey drinker, it's nice. Well, you've got to like PG whiskey beforehand, which I know you have a soft spot to. Mm. That's why I also chose uh, Ardbeg. Well, this has been Cascades. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use. It really does help us, and more importantly, may lead others to uh, listen to and discover the show. Uh, you can also visit our website or send us an email if you have any questions. The links are within the description below. I've been Jordan, and with me today has been my dad. Uh, I think it's been okay. Yeah, uh, You well, did a lot better than I thought. Thank I you very much. So, yes, I, I really hope that this has been a good episode for you. I uh, I thoroughly do recommend the Wee Beastie. It is well worth a try. Um, I know stocks are interesting at the moment because of the uh, the virus and things, but it, if shops have sold out, it will be coming back. Um, and as always, we will leave you with one editing goof. Goodbye. Goodbye. In fact, I've even downloaded some and recorded my Siri and listened to them again and again, over and over. Well, as you should, yeah. As I do. Yeah. yeah. Like you do in my music, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you better do your clicky thing. <laughs> Drink time, yeah. Drink break. <laughs>